you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, guys, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. I really appreciate you tuning in. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Mr. Mike Colonna. He is the president and the CEO of an iconic Southern California restaurant called Norm's Diner. Now, Norm's is an institution, and they're celebrating their 70th anniversary. Imagine being in business for that many decades. 70 years is incredible. In that time, they've served a billion eggs, 340 million hotcakes, 326 million cups of coffee, and over 100 million slices of bacon. That's crazy busy, right? Well, we're going to talk about the value proposition and what keeps their customers coming back for more. Great food, reasonable prices, and the convenience of being open 24-7. We're going to talk about how they stay on top of the quality and the consistency in over 19 locations and growing. We're going to talk about service philosophies, best practices, Practices, and even those pivots and experiments that seem like a good idea, but they just don't work out the way you think they will. But it's all about running a great restaurant, isn't it? Finally, we'll talk about what's made Norm's a legend in Southern California. So this is a great episode. You got to stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. And as you know, we feature um, legendary restaurants and top chefs and technology companies and all sorts of things that'll help you run a better restaurant. And I am so excited today because it's not every week that I actually get to interview the president and CEO of an iconic chain of restaurants that is celebrating its 70th anniversary. Today, I'm talking with Mr. Mike Colonna. And again, he is the president and CEO of a brand in Southern California called Norm's Diner. I'm sure you've heard of it. Welcome to the show today, Mike. How are you? Good morning, Roger. Couldn't be better in sunny SoCal. Well, you know, I lived in LA for a long time. I've been to Norm's. It is so iconic for so many different reasons, but why don't we start with the history? I know it goes back to 1949. So could you give our listeners and audience just sort of a glimpse back into the start of Norm's and how it became, you know, such an institution today? Well, Norm Norm Roybach was, um, he was a very simple gentleman, but a very brilliant business person and uh and the the story goes which we've um i think we've been able to verify through a lot of different people and family members and and uh and actually some of the people that have been working with norm some of our people have been around for over 40 years it's 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 amazing but the story goes that um he was a business person and he was looking for opportunities and he was actually in in the car dealership business and uh, legend has it that he was at Santa Anita uh, enjoying a day playing the ponies. And he looked at the $1 window, the $3 window, and the $5 window back then. And the $1 window had a line around the corner. And the simple process was, I want to open a restaurant that has that $1 win- window, that value proposition. And so he took, um, he took a location, um, first location, and he actually set it up like a car dealership where, you know, in the old days when you had the cars, those beautiful vehicles that had the big fins and the bumper and the chrome, they were always in well-lit showrooms. And so that passerbyers could see the cars, the animation of the vehicles uh, from the street. And he wanted norms to be like that, but he wanted the people to be the focus, not the, not the cars, not the vehicles. 
and and that was really kind of his thought process on on um, on value, on the uh, on on the uh, the aesthetics, and then back then, um, you know, there was something that was just coming around, which was called Googie, G O O G I, Googie Architect. And if you know George Jetson or even LAX Airport, um, if you see some of the car washes or some of the older buildings that have these really interesting angles and lines and geometric figures and, and some some really bright, robust coloring, um, he said, let's let's use the Googie design, which was really L.A. based or California based. Correct. Yep, and and that, was part of, that was part of the aesthetics. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the brand or, or the, the, the business was really built on two main items. One was a, a breakfast item, a, an affordable breakfast, which is now has evolved to our bigger, better breakfast for only $7.99. You get a full, complete meal with sausages and bacon and ham and eggs and hash browns and hotcakes, all for $7.99. So back then, he built it on a, on a great breakfast item. And then he wanted a steak item, which he really liked T-bones. And so Norms was really built on two items, a great breakfast item and a great T-bone steak. And very, very simple philosophy. Um, you know, homemade, big portions, great value. Was it always open 24-7 or that came later? No, I believe um, the original restaurants and the original diners were all 24-7. And that's kind of you know, part of the, uh, the branding is all, we're always open. Uh, we never close, uh, where life happens. That was always part of the classic, uh, the classic diner back then. And if that's true today, I know you're doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner, of course, and late night food is the entire menu available 24 seven, or do you focus on breakfast, lunch, dinner during those day parts? No, you can come in. Um, it's, it's really on demand. Um, preference. So you can get anything you want any time of the day. You can get fish and chips at breakfast time. You can get bigger, better breakfast at late night. You know, it's really, um, it's really, really your, your, your choice. And I think part of that evolution was um, in, in the early days, there were some third shift industrial factories, you know, so, so although, although the, the, the the dining preferences were a little bit different. You did have a lot of um, graveyard shift workers. You know, I'm here in Long Beach, and Long Beach was actually um, the home of McDonnell Douglas. And if if you see some of the older restaurants or, or some of the older bars, actually, they all have they all have early morning or late night um, um, operating hours, and that was part of the graveyard shift of of some of the blue collar hardworking folks in the lane. So it's also based on give the people what they want when they want it. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which, which really allows us to cut across multiple generations. You know, the millennials, which has um, most of us confused sometimes. And I have three daughters that are, they're in their thirties uh, because sometimes I'm not sure what they're thinking, but I do know they like what they like when they want it. Of course. So, so you can get egg whites, you can get, extra hash browns. You can, you can customize your order any way you want because everything's made to order. And, and I think that cuts across from uh, the baby boomers uh, to all other generations. And, uh, um, and I think that makes it, uh, makes it attractive. How many staff does a typical norms have on its payroll norm? 
I'm like, um, anywhere from 70 to about a hundred. Yeah. Uh, we're opening up our new restaurant in Inglewood, uh, California, which is a great location, uh, uh, near, near the new stadium. And, uh, we will, we're, we're going to hire about 180 people and we'll end up with about 130 cause that'll be one of our biggest, biggest restaurants. Um, so about a about a hundred is, is kind of an average, I would say. Now you mentioned that, you know, you've had longevity of staff. You've had people that have worked at norms for 40 years, which is incredible, but we all know this is a labor shortage right now and restaurants everywhere are struggling with finding and keeping a great staff. Are you having any challenges, you know, finding, enough people for all of your norms locations and, and, you know, to operate 24 seven and to have that kind of payroll and, and that number of employees in each location. It, 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 it's really a difficult challenge. Um, and, and even before the minimum, um, even before the unemployment rate was all time low, um, you know, I think it's around 3. 3.4% in Orange County, which is basically 0%. Right. right. Um, it, it's always been tough. The restaurant business has always been tough. You know, it's not glamorous in some ways. Um, you have to have a servant's heart. You have to have patience. Um, and um, it's small transactions, so it's a lot of transactions. You know, you're not selling the diamond ring for $5,000. You're selling a meal for 10 bucks. You know, our average check is $12. Um, our average breakfast check is $9, you know, so... So there's a lot of stress, a lot of activity, and then and then you you flip and go and walk into the kitchen, you know it's hot, it's you know working with food, it's um, it, it's difficult. You're on your feet, so it's always been tough. But um, but I think part of our longevity in in you know we just won the TDN 2K People Award for the lowest turnover and in, in management and in hourly. Um, and also the best culture, and that's a nationwide award by uh, by by a pretty prominent uh, uh, company. And and I think part of it is just um, the original culture was based on an owner operator type of mentality. Run it like you own it is one of our mantras. Now, with limitations, we want consistency, and you know we have ownership and investors and. But I think that that entrepreneurial approach is something that is really, really powerful, you know, and it gives people a little bit of um, an emotional relationship with 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 the company and with with the people. And uh, we're not we're not perfect by any means. And, and we do have some we call it churn, which means you turn over the same people Um and we're always trying to build that core, but we, we have benefits. We have, um, we have healthcare insurance. We have 401k, you know, you have to be an employer of choice to be competitive in LA. Cause there's a lot of great companies out here, not just in restaurant business, but in, in most, in most industries. So one of the most important things I don't need to tell you is staff training. So I'm really curious about what it's like to onboard a new employee, whether that's front of house, back of house, what type of training they receive. And if you have specific recognition and rewards programs that, you know, that keeps the morale high and keeps the turnover low and that sort of thing. Why don't we start with the training and, and move on with that question? Yeah. Um, for, for a little company we're, we're I, I would say we're pretty sophisticated. I, my, my background in my early days was with a company called um, Burger King, which, you know, I cut my teeth with and pretty simple. I, I liked Whoppers better than Big Macs and nobody else would hire me back then. You could only get hired by the fast food joints because you could never work in 
full service unless you had full service experience, and I didn't. So I liked Whoppers, and I went and worked for, with uh, with Burger King. And, and I have a um, I have a degree from Tufts University in um, um, sorry, Medford, Massachusetts. Mepha. World famous Mepha, Massachusetts. Medford, yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah. My father-in-law went to Tufts, and that's uh, that's not too far from where I'm at right now. Fantastic! Uh, I love this. Oh, story. really? Yeah. yeah. So I have I have I have some schooling in um, in yeah. education, and, and and I end up being in the training department at a very young age, a regional trainer with Burger King, and I, I think some of that kind of carried on to me in terms of <clears throat> how to invest in people and. And, uh, and how do you, how do you take care of people as best you can, you know, within reason and financial responsibility. So, um, so at, at norms here for a small company, we have, um, electronic onboarding, we do reference checks, we do testing in terms of, um, of act, both acumen and, and personality. And, and it, it gives us, it's a guide, you know, it's almost like picking real estate. You could look at demographics, you can look at population, you could it's a guy, but sometimes the numbers don't tell you the real story. So we do, we do a lot of diligence in terms of, of, of making sure that we have the right person, because to me, it's risk management. You know, you hire somebody, you know, you hope they can do the job. That's the easy part. Um, but the hard part is to figure out some of these attitude or, you know, as I mentioned, you have to have a servant's heart to be in this business. So we go through that process. We, as far as the training process, we have um, training, job descriptions, and specifications and manuals for every position in, in the business. So you can get, and a lot of that is done online as well. So we've just upgraded um, everything from uh, from paper to online. And so we have tablets in the restaurants. And, and you have to go through a series of milestones um, before we let you either serve the product or serve the guest produce the product to serve the guests. So, and then, um, and then we have, a, we have a pretty robust training department with field trainers. Um, every restaurant has a handful of certified trainers, which are specialists so that um, they're the ones. So we have certified training cooks and prep people and cashiers. And so you kind of go to a specialist as well as we have certified training restaurants that our managers in training, when we hire a manager, put them in the training department, they will only go to certain restaurants for certain parts of their, uh, of their curriculum. Um, and, and then, and then, you know, uh, my, my philosophy is pretty easy is that our, our responsibility is to set them up for success, right? Doesn't, doesn't assure success, but if you can get out of the way and set them up for success, um, um, you should have a pretty good, chance of having a successful employee would you say that norms does any cross training so that you know different staff can be competent in different positions especially when the unexpected happens and this guy calls out or that guy gets hit by a bus that sort of thing uh yeah that that's that's necessary especially you know when we do the volume we do um you know we do about eight to ten thousand guests per week per restaurant which is which is pretty amazing um um, but even at those peak periods, you have to have, let's say cooks or front, front of the house people that are somewhat cross trained because there's always situations. So our line cooks can run it, normally any one of the three positions. Yes. Um, and then, and then you have, uh, an expediter and that type of thing. 
mm-hmm. um, we cross train the prep cooks. So in as well as uh, dishwashers and buses. So once in a while you get a nine one one call, and you stop your prep and you say, "Come on the line and, and let's get let's get through the rust." And we do the same thing with cashiers and and servers uh, in, in the front of the house too. So it, it, it's just a, it's just a necessity. How long have you been with Norms? You mentioned the whole Burger King career start. What happened next, and how did you find your way at Norms? How long you been there? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time for me to give you my, my journey, but uh, I really cut my teeth with um, uh, with Burger King and then moved on to um, a heritage brand out in here, here in California after that called Victoria Station. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that it, too. There's only one or two left on the East Coast. Yep. They were the train cars. I remember that. Classic prime rib salad bar. Um, you know, back then there was a, a couple theme restaurants, Steak and Ale, Chart House is still around. And that's where I really learned the business uh, because with that company, um, you, you learn how to deal with food, food preparation as a kitchen manager and then later as a general manager. And I really cut my teeth because I worked through and I went into operations and then I was a director of facilities and concept development. So I had multiple positions over uh, about a six-year period, which made me uh, what I am today, which is a generalist. You know, um, you know, I, I told my staff meeting, we had a staff meeting this morning. I, I said, I'm not great at anything. I'm pretty good at a lot of stuff. And uh, and being a generalist, you know, you have to dabble in marketing and, you know, facilities and design and product development and, uh, and ops. And, and, I, and I think the key is at my role is that you have to be able to select good people that are specialists. There's probably not a typical day for you at Norms, but how do you stay on top of quality control, consistency, you know, all those attributes we talked about, the great food, the great service, the great value in 19 locations. Obviously, you can't be in every location all the time, but I'm sure you travel amongst the chain frequently and you've got a chain of command, you've got good management team, but what's, what would you say that would be? How does that work for you? I think great operations um, evolve around the general manager. Yeah. Not to discount my multi-units that are field operators, regional managers. I have a vice president of operations. You know, we have a training team. We have a field chef. So we have a lot of support people that go in and and help deploy and train and, you know, do the quality assurance um, evaluations. Um, and But it evolves around the GM. Our, our, our general manager tenure is probably on average about 20 years at with norms. Um, and so, so if you have a right general manager, who's to me, the chief operating officer of the restaurant, the rest is, is fairly simple. That person sets the standards, holds people accountable, hires, you know, if you think about it, when you have the authority to hire the entire staff and it's your standards, it's, it's your ability to execute. So to me, to me, it's, it's really the foundation or the keystone is, is the general managers at Norms. That's true. And there's a lot of longevity with that um, particular position as well. I mean, GMs have been around for a long time with Norms. Do they mm-hmm. ever transfer from location to location? Does that happen as well? Sure, sure. A lot, a lot of it is based on um, the needs of the individual and, and or the needs of the company. So there's a balance of, of what works. So we try to be careful with commute times, especially in LA, you know, um, 20 miles, 
not a bad commute, but 20 miles in LA could be an hour and a half. Oh yeah. Um, so, so we're, we're conscious of that. Um, we, we have, we have a great bonus, uh, package, um, but it's based on profitability. So it's own, almost like a, um, a quasi owner operator, um, um, uh, ownership and the higher volume restaurants make a little bit more money. So people that want to excel, you know, they try to move into from lower moderate volumes into higher volumes. Uh, then we have the new restaurant openings, which is a great opportunity for the existing staff as well as us hiring from outside. So, uh, so there is, there is some movement, um, but it's a balance between the needs of the company and the needs of the, uh, of the team member. And I'm sure your financials are all standardized amongst locations and you sort of have benchmarks that you have to hit all the time. I mean, we, we already covered the fact that you're, you're providing tremendous value, but you're also doing tremendous number of covers. So you're doing well, you know, on volume side of things, but you must be tight on costs and really obsessed with profit and, you know, squeezing every economy out of each location. Yeah. I mean, the P&L, as I said before, you know, we're, we're fairly sophisticated, you know, uh, besides uh, Burger King, Victoria Station. Um, I worked uh, for a few years uh, in the early days with Boston Market. So I know what systems are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was well educated by some great uh, mentors and some great systems, some great companies. So so we have, uh, we call them KPIs, key, key performance indicators. Yes. Um, besides the profit and loss statement. So, you know, any profit and loss statement is pretty simple. You know, you have sales, cost of goods, labor, and then other operating expenses like rent and utilities. So it's really A minus B minus C minus C equals profitability. So sounds sounds simple, but, um, but we have KPIs. We have forecasting, payroll modules, productivity. We have a theoretical food cost, which tells you if you do everything perfectly right based on your individual product mix of the restaurant, this is what you're in based on current purchasing because it's perpetually updating your purchasing. This is what your food cost is. We add a little bit of slippage because there's waste in, in performance. So we, we have cost of goods uh, indicators, labor indicators. And then, um, and if I'm getting too technical, no, 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 I get all this stuff. I've yeah, run restaurants you know, for decades. Yeah. Too. So, and then, and then, and then as far as the, uh, the other operating expenses, there's either fixed cost or variable costs. And we try to manage the variable costs, you know, depending on, on uh, moving up and down. And, and then we also look at flow through on a regular basis. So as sales increase or decrease, we look at flow through ratios. Very good. Do Norm's locations, do you own the real estate for your different locations? Is it a combination of both? No, no, we... Uh, we want to be an operating company, not a real estate company. I see. So we, we, we have leasehold in- interests in every location. Mm-hmm. And, and we'd rather take the funds and put them into new restaurant openings. Um, and it's, uh, I, I think it's the way to go um, if you're going to try to have some growth. Because fr- quite frankly, the real estate in L.A. is just off the Richter scale. So, so we're, we're, we're strictly an operating company. You must take advantage of the buying power of having all these different locations. You negotiate hard with your suppliers. Um, yes, but we treat them as partners. Um, if, if you don't understand that 
your vendor is really a partner and yeah, you can squeeze and you can negotiate, but you have to be realistic in terms of their running a business as well. Um, so we push very hard, you know, um, when, when you're selling things as affordable as we are, you know, um, uh, we, we have a promotion right now where you can get uh, steak dinners from nine ninety nine. You know, we serve a top sirloin, a New York strip, uh, a T-bone, a porterhouse, and a filet. We have as many steaks as most steakhouses. So when you're selling things at these affordable prices, you're running really tight margins. Of course. You know, so you have to, you have to operate tightly and you have to purchase uh, very, very aggressively. So. Are you talking about the throwback menu for September based on the anniversary or are you offering uh, those steak dinners at those prices all the time? It, it's, it's a limited time offer, but even our base, our base menu prices. Yeah. Um, the bigger, better breakfast is a base, basic menu price at seven ninety nine mm-hmm. anytime all day long. Um, you know, you get a similar, um, a similar meal at a competitor, which I will remain nameless. Um, uh, you're probably two to three dollars. Every every dinner entree that we sell comes with soup, homemade soup, and fresh hand cut salad. Every, every every entree. So most other companies will charge you three to four dollars for soup and three to four dollars or maybe five dollars for salad. Right, it's included. Right. So we're we're giving great, great value. No question. Um, and part of that is how we purchase, but we also produce from scratch. So we, we, we scratch make a lot of products, which adds a little bit of labor, but actually decreases your, your food cost. Correct. Let's talk about marketing and brand building. Over, you know, seven decades, has the brand evolved or is that it pretty much stuck to the, you know, the formula of what's always worked? We talked about the Googie architecture. I think that's brand building unto itself because the architecture and the ambiance of the restaurants are a draw in and of, of themselves, right? Mm. And then there's, you know, the repeat business and the loyalty of the clientele that's been coming year after years and generations of the same families have been going to norm. So there's that word on the street buzz. And then obviously in this day and age, there's a lot of social media, but what's the core of your brand and how do you continue to sustain and build that brand today? I mean, where life happens um, is, is really kind of the core of the brand. You know, LA is so diverse and, and our locations are diverse in terms of, you know, you go to Huntington beach versus uh, downtown LA, uh, Van Nuys, um, we have a large Hispanic base, but we're multi, multi, multi-racial, multi-generational. Um, so, so the the brand where life happens is is really kind of the foundation because anybody can be satisfied at at norms. You know, um, whether it's product selection, whether it's time of day, whether it's affordability, um, and I think that's the essence that we try to portray in our marketing and it's really trying to take advantage of this emotional bond that you have great brands have emotional bonds with their with their guests with their clients with their customers you know um and so um i call that affinity (laughs) well then then but then there's then you have to keep up with the times because yes not everybody's watching broadcast tv anymore right you know you could advertise on tv solely if you could afford it in LA 
20 years ago, you had ABC, NBC, CBS. There's, there's so much in social media, you know, um, this little, this little thing here has revolutionized marketing in terms of how you can get to the guest. So we've really evolved in terms of core media, social media. We have a loyalty club um, that, that we started five years ago and went from a base of zero to we have over 250,000 people on our loyalty club, which we can communicate um, through either email or through text or through messaging. Um, we're doing a lot more through social media. Um, but it all evolves around the, the fundamental pr principle of the brand and great, great food and affordab affordability is kind of the theme of everything we try, we try to do. Now, the television and film industries has also found norms, and you've been featured in, you know, iconic shows. Uh, I think there's uh, a Seinfeld connection there. There's some pretty iconic movies as well, and that's just free press, right? And you cannot, yeah. you can't argue with that sort of thing when that happens. Well, well, we're trying to take advantage of that on a regular basis, but this year in particular with our 70th year anniversary, yes, um, we, we just hired a, a very talented PR firm that brought a uh, a new approach in terms of how do we take advantage of this messaging? So um, I'll give you an example. Um, we, every year we have a, a, a kickoff meeting where we invite all the managers in and uh, um, we, we, we set the, we review the previous year and we talk about the future year and it's usually in January um, or at the very latest, late early February. And one, one year we had it at, um, on the uh, Queen Elizabeth, yes, which is just magnificent in terms of, and that mm -hmm. that was actually built in 1938 or 39, and you see the the wood and the the chrome and and the Art Deco, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And so we had it on the Queen Elizabeth, and then you looked off the deck of the Queen Elizabeth, <clears throat> and you saw a Carnival cruise liner that was just as magnificent but different. Right. In a modern sort of way, right? In a like, like a modern, today cruise ship versus a vintage ocean liner? Yeah. And so the message to the team that year was yeah. we kind of want to be like the Queen Elizabeth, but with some of the um, amenities of, of the new technology of the new cruise ship because that's what your guest or your customer wants. So there's really an evolution of, of that. And that, that relates to you know, uh, Wiener, uh, Mad Men, he wrote his thesis um, based on norms because when it was in school, I think he was at UCLA, UCLA. He used to go to our La Cienega restaurant. And, he, he, you know, and you're a college student that doesn't have a lot of money with a laptop. And so we, we just cut across, you know, all generations and all, um, you know, you've got the white collar worker with, with the tie at a, from a government building sitting next to the mom with the kids. And um, so we try to, we try, we try to take advantage of, 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 of the, of the, of the industry, the Hollywood industry, but we want to stay true. Years ago, we had an ad <clears throat> that showed um, a bunch of guys playing basketball um, on the water, on the beach. And it was like all California themed and sunny LA and, like that, I, I, we adapted that, and I wanted to see guys playing basketball, hoop, 
is what I call it, on a hard top yeah. in LA. And when the ball goes through the net, it's chains. You know, it's it's this 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 organic feel of what LA is really about. So LA is is the beautiful women on the water on the beach, but LA is also playing hoop on a hard top. Um, multiracial, you know, basketball players all all playing a great game. And that that's to me what we try we try to be. We try to relate to all cuts. Well, there's some pretty extraordinary statistics of what you've served in 70 decades. I think it's over a billion eggs, 340 million hotcakes, 326 million cups of coffee, and over 100 million slices of bacon. Like, that's extraordinary. Like, who else can say that? No, not bad for a little company, huh? That's part of your marketing as well. Like, I think that's pretty hard hitting. Yeah, we're, 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 actually, we're actually playing up... Um, because we really believe it, yeah. you know, Davy versus Goliath, you know, we're, yeah. we're obviously we're Davy and, uh, and we're, right. we're, we're, right. we're going to war with some big companies that have big marketing budgets and, uh, nobody does the type of business we do per square footage, except for maybe, um, cheesecake factory, right. wonderful company, but they're, they are three X what our menu price is. So $30, right. $40, you know, so. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the cheesecake factory. I interviewed their chief culinary officer last week. So he's an upcoming episode as well. And again, another iconic brand, a whole different, uh, you know, type of situation, type of concept than, than what you're doing. But I mean, I would say that we're talking about competitive advantage here. And I think we're all competitive in this business and that's what makes it fun. And the passion runs deep and that's mm -hmm. obvious in talking to you as well. Let's uh, we, shift. We, we, uh, Go ahead. Just, one, just one, one point. Yeah. I think norms, the way this thing has evolved and, and I think we've made it better. We've evolved uh, from five years ago. Um, We've refreshed buildings. We're, we're doing new things. We have new restaurant designs. You know, we're more creative, I think, with culinary. So we're trying to keep people, people's interest, but we've evolved. But, but, the, but the basics of principles of brand, it's hard to have a veto vote at norms. So you could be sitting with your girlfriend, with your mom, with your friends, with your in-laws, with your kids, with your boss. It's virtually impossible to have a veto vote against norms because you can get whatever you want, whenever you want it. Um, and that's not a bad place to be. You're still expanding. I mean, you mentioned new restaurant openings. Do you anticipate so many restaurants per year that will continue to open in the right locations as they become available? Is that yeah, ongoing? We're, 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 we're right now, we opened up two last year. We'll open up three this year. And we have three next year, which is 2020. Um, and then... That's, that's probably a good rate for us, two to three per year, um, you know, based on our infrastructure. We could get a little bit more aggressive, uh, but we're trying to be very careful, very cautious with restaurant site locations. And right now in the near future, we're going to stay put in SoCal is what, what the plan is. I, I think we'll at some point, um, because of the amount of business each restaurant does, at some point, um, we're going to be limited because of cannibalization of, of existing restaurants. But the near future is, is SoCal right now. I believe this thing can go anywhere. 
Yeah, so I was going to ask you that question. I mean, clearly Miami would be a next step, right? And those types of cultures that, uh, you know, that your brand would translate to. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm interested well, to hear why you made that decision or if it's a possibility down the road. Oh, oh, absolutely. A a absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if we're not in Nevada or Arizona in the near future, I'd be very surprised. Mm -hmm. um, and then Texas would be wonderful. You know, Southern Florida, I know that area very well. Um, so this thing has a lot of different sweet spots um, in terms of, 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 you know, diners, sometimes you get lucky a little bit too. You know, I'm an East Coast kid and I used to go to the Connecticut and New England diners, which are totally different with the New York diners. Than, than the classic West Coast diners. I right. did as well. Yeah. You know, the old uh, stainless steel or aluminum diners of, you know, the 50s vintage and that sort of thing. I mean, my big, family and I went to those all the time. Yeah, big menus. Yeah. You get whatever you want, extravagant desserts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then, and when I say you get lucky is breakfast really became cool again, probably maybe 10, 12 years ago you know and uh and because it's it's healthy if you if you do it right it's it's your choice of what what you want how you want it and it's affordable and you can eat it day or night so i when i say you get lucky i just think the evolution of breakfast is which is obviously a foundation of norms um there, there were a couple of norms years ago, 30, 40 years, 20, 30 years ago, where the management at that time took out um, the counter stools because nobody wanted to sit at the counter anymore. And I'm, I'm from, I was weaned on Dunkin' Donuts, right? You would sit at the donut shop and then, and then sitting at the, sitting at the counter wasn't cool anymore. And now it's cool again. You know, people like to be by themselves on their laptop instead of being at a table alone. So I think I think the evolution of the of the industry is sometimes in your favor, right? I would agree with you. And it's interesting you bring that up because I've been out of the restaurant business for five years, other than the consulting and the coaching and the, you know, and what we do with restaurant rock stars. I sold my restaurants five years ago and about eight weeks ago I just bought another place and it's a breakfast and lunch place with a classic New England counter counter service you know it looks like it's from an old diner and this particular concept we believe has legs in new england and we're going to expand you know after we tighten up the ship right now but you know we'll we'll open up other locations and we think that that's iconic as well a you know a far cry from what norms is but it's a start i'm starting all over again after 25 years in the business you know mm -hmm. yeah it's uh it's and, and breakfast has evolved itself it's Right. You know, we're, we're playing with a little bit more sophisticated breakfast. So, you know, we've added a couple of different omelets, uh, um, you know, different burritos and handhelds. And, you know, we're just getting, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we're having different sauces and top toppers and, you know, because you have to play with, within the comfort food that we serve. There's so many ways to do a product. We, we serve one of the best meatloafs I've ever had in my life. And it weighs about three quarters of a pound. When you pick it up, you know, the plate bends. And we got this brown gravy on it. And we add a bacon strip on it. And you get it with homemade mashed potatoes and green beans and soup and a salad. 
and it's like a you know ten fifty uh, you know off the top of my head it's like you know ten dollars which which that's a up. meal that oh, is a and meal it's, it's it's amazing yeah. most of our a lot of restaurants have to go we have to go mm-hmm. most of our paper goods that we use in the restaurant are because of leftovers so people just are taking home stuff all the time because it's it's too much food so it's interesting because I, I i was first looking at all these you know being a bean counter sometimes right you, know, you look at paper costs and you go we don't do that much as much to go business why is our paper cost so high it's because everybody's taking something home which is kind of a a good phenomenon now that's part of the value proposition also do you find that you found the sweet spot in portion sizes or do you think you're offering a little too much but the customer appreciates that and that's one of the reasons why they come back I, I think we're we're oversized, and but I think that's just part of the value proposition. I, I think if you tinker with portions, I think as you evolve new menu items, you can be more conscious, cautious. Right. You know, we're we're looking at some different pasta dishes um, that might be a little smaller. We're looking at bowls, you know. So you want we want to be able to give some smaller portion options. But I, I think it's I think it's definitely part of part of the value proposition, you know, as well as the you know as well as the quality. So value value is not just you know this. I'm, it's not just the price. It's what you get for the price. So we That's serve Barilla. We serve Barilla pasta, which is a high end. Mm-hmm. We serve Cheesecake Factory cheesecakes for less than the Cheesecake Factory. Shh, don't tell anybody. We <laughs> we serve thrift. I had no idea. Ice. We serve thrifty ice cream, um, which is kind of a uh, a classic brand out here. It's been in, in uh, SoCal in LA for 70 years. So we also try to do great quality. You're not going to get a better piece of bacon. Um, you know, the quality of our, our hot cakes are made with pastry flour, which makes these things probably the best in the industry, best I've ever had. And, uh, uh, and they're light and fluffy, you know, so the value is also in the quality of we hand, we hand cut every steak in the, in the restaurant and we have a saw that cuts the T-bone. So we cut through bone as well, which is unheard of, you know, in terms of butchering in this day and age, butchering your own, your own product, you know, so that's part of the value proposition is, is definitely the quality as well as the portion. As operators, we tend to experiment and you never know what's going to happen sometimes until you actually do it. So we get these big ideas all the time and then we try something and it either is a huge success or it fails miserably or it's somewhere in the middle. Have you made you know any mistakes over the years, experiments, pivots where you shifted direction, things that jump out as it seemed like a good idea at the time, but this is what happened? Any stories that jump out at you? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you know, a couple things. One is I underestimated the volume and the traffic, and and I've got a lot of experience. And and I cut my teeth as a, a, a chief operating officer, as an operator, and then a develop chief development officer before I took on this role. So I like being in restaurants. I know what restaurants are about. I, I underestimated the difficulty of doing as many transactions as we do. And um, 
And I made a couple of mistakes where I got too complicated with things I was doing, too many deployments. And, and I was, I was, it was at the point where the ops team and the field were going, Hey, Kelowna, please slow down. We can't get all this done in the, let's sell gift cards and do this. And at the same time, we're going to have this promotion. And by the way, we're going to have a bounce back. And, and all of a sudden you see a bottleneck at the register because there's too much stuff happening. So I would say underestimating the complexity of being able to do this volume was one thing. Uh, and then, um, you know, menu development wise, um, I pro- we probably tried eight different desserts because we don't sell a lot of desserts because people are just full. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm getting that feeling. Right? Yeah. So we tried little desserts, big desserts, cheap desserts, expensive desserts, chocolate, you know, and we just went around the circle. And what we found was we now with this association with Cheesecake Factory, which is the high end, and then Thrifty Ice Cream, which is really good quality ice cream, but it's a very affordable price. And we do Sundays and brownies. So I, it took me a while to say, not wave the white flag, but to say, listen, let's, let's keep the dessert line simple. And some of the desserts that we have can carry to go. And we do, we do take home promotions with desserts. So instead of trying to force you to eat a dessert in the restaurant when you're already full, we have it as an afterthought. Would you like to take something home with you? Great, absolutely. And, uh, but that took that took an evolution of mm-hmm. um, uh, of time. So, yeah, we 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 made we made a few mistakes. So I've always been a huge advocate, and when I coach restaurants, it's like don't run a restaurant, run a brand, be a brand. And clearly, you've done that. And retail merchandise must be a large part of your business as well, right? Norms is iconic. You can sell anything with a Norms logo on it. Are you doing that and capitalizing we, we, on that? We just we just we just started that initiative this year with the 70th hmm. anniversary. I see. Um, so um, I'm really excited about it, um, and you know it'll be simple at first. Um, in terms of cups and tumblers and t-shirts and hats, kind of the basic stuff. It'll, 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 it'll start off with the 70th anniversary as kind of the, the promotional theme. But, but I agree with you. I think, I think there's, um, there's a lot of room for us to do some of, some of that stuff in the future. And uh, so we're just starting to deploy that. The thing that I caution um, the marketing team as well as the purchasing team is um, – if we sell something that's an extension of the brand, number one, it has to be right and it has to be price right. So I went to a couple of competitors that have coffee cups that are selling coffee cups for $18 or $15 and hats for 20 bucks. And we won't do that because that's, that's, you have to be able to extend the brand with affordable retail products also. So you'll see that our retail products are very, very reasonably priced. We're not looking to make a lot of money on those things. We're really looking at as an extension of the brand to build the, the allegiance with the guest. So, Yeah, I'm jumping ahead here, but I get the sense that with 19 and growing locations, once this retail merchandise thing takes off, you could vertically integrate by buying your own printing company or screen shop or you know all that sort of thing to increase those profits while you keep the value proposition intact. Yeah, we'll get we'll we'll get there. You know, um, there, there's a lot of good companies that do fulfillment centers that we're we're involved with now. So we're we're trying to make it an easy part, easy for the operations to execute, and easy for the guests. 
And then, and then we're going to evolve to online ordering, et cetera, et cetera. So all that stuff will get queued in, um, in, in a planned manner. How many seats does a typical, uh, norms location have? Um, anywhere from 180 to 210. Oh, wow. We have, one, is, we have one small restaurant, Yeah, two small restaurants that have about 140, 145, but about 180 is our, uh, is to 200 is our sweet spot. And anything, anything larger than that, uh, it, it's tough for a single line kitchen to execute. You know, um, it, it's just, you know, we have, we have two restaurants that have two patios that can seat 260. Yeah. And they have, they have dual line kitchens. Um, but one kitchen can pop off about 180 to 200 seats on, on, a, on a, on a, on a, on a cycling. Is breakfast your busiest day part, or is it pretty, you know, consistent across the day parts? Pretty consistent. Dinner is our biggest day part. It is dinner. Both travel, and that's why Norms does the business that the other restaurants can't do in family dining. We do dinners, and we don't have to give away the house to try to do dinners. It's it was remember it was built on the steak platform, right? Right. T bone. And now we sell all these steaks. We serve salmon. We serve fried shrimp. We have the soup and the salad. Um, you know, we have um, you know full line burgers, that that type of thing. So we do the business we do because of the strength of lunch and dinner. Um, and dinner is the is the busiest shift for us, traffic count wise and sales wise. I can only imagine you must have a sizable kitchen because you're constantly prepping food with such high volume and. So many mm-hmm. day parts, right? So mm-hmm. prep has got to be huge for you. You mentioned most of these restaurant locations have a single line. Are you shooting for a certain, you know, ticket time uh, for each day part to keep the service flowing smoothly and the customers happy and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, our normal meal period is about 45 minutes. We don't serve alcohol and and we do serve limited desserts. Um, mm-hmm. um, now we we do serve we have an appetizer line, uh, but because of the simplicity of the meal, um, beverage, entree, we do have soup and salad. So our our turn times table turn times pretty quick about forty five minutes. Um, in order to do that, we must get the food out of the kitchen right. no longer than twelve to fourteen minutes from the time it's entered. Uh, unless it's a well-done filet, that type of thing. So if we can get the food out in about 10 minutes and have a 45-minute meal period, uh, we, we, we can turn tables and give good hospitality because, you know, um, you, you don't want – I was going to use a jargon of the restaurant business. I can say this, chew and screw. You don't, you don't want that. you got to have some hospitality. You can't be rushing people out and making them feel uncomfortable because then you just ruin the whole experience. But if you can stick to those times, I think that sounds super efficient. You know, if you can get people, you know, served and fed, give them great hospitality and move the tables every 45 minutes. I mean, that's how you're doing 10,000 plus covers a week in a typical location. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's talk about delivery. Does that impact your dining service at all when delivery orders come in over the phone and that sort of thing? Is It just goes into the regular queue and it doesn't slow anything down? No, de- de- delivery is a phenomenon that is just, um, when I started off with Burger King years ago, we, the following 
year afterwards, I, I had a test restaurant that was a drive through And that was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You don't have to get out of your car. You pull up and, you know, and so, so delivery to me is like that drive, drive through phenomenon that um, we outsource to the delivery services. So we, we, we have, we have uh, the big three, Grubhub, Uber Eats, and uh, DoorDash. And you have to have all three. Um, it's like, if you like a Chevy, you're going to buy a Chevy. If you like a Ford, you're going to buy a Ford. There are people that have allegiance to those, those companies. Yes. And, uh, and they're pretty good operating companies, expensive. Um, and I think that'll change in the future, but, um, but it's, it's had a little complexity. We, we have, we have technology though, that has, that infuses the delivery order right into our point of sale system. So we don't have tablets anywhere. Right. So it's seamless to the kitchen. The kitchen gets the order, DoorDash enters the order, it pops into the kitchen, pops to the register, and we have to produce it and pack it and uh, that type of thing. So that's made it easier. But at our volume, whenever you add an extra platform, it's tough. It, it, it's tough. You have, to, you have to put a little more labor at it. Um, but you can't be in the restaurant business and not have delivery today, in my mind, in my humble mind. It just, it's just what, what people want. You know, so um, we do a limited menu because not everything travels properly. Mm -hmm. yep. um, it packs properly, but it's really a robust menu. Um, but it has added a little, little complexity, a little bit of labor. One of the last things that has made Norms really successful is giving back to the local communities in which you serve. And I know you support hunger relief and other efforts. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about that whole giving back piece and what that means and how you get involved with the communities and, and different events and different uh, good causes, that sort of thing. Yeah, we, uh, well, we have two platforms. One, one is, one is the company platform, which is heavily involved in um, um, the food banks out here, um, LA regional um, orange County and uh, out in Riverside. So, mm -hmm. so we, we, we do a promotion where, uh, we donate thousands of dollars every year, and this is we're just finishing it up uh, right now uh, to the food banks. And the second thing we do is um, is through our local restaurant marketing. Uh, we have a local restaurant marketing manager. He works with the general managers, and we do a lot of local events. So whether it's the high schools in El Monte, uh, the grade schools in Anaheim. Um, some of the churches. So we, we, we try to do blend a, a major promotion that's LA based. Um, and then, and then we really do a lot of, a lot of things with the, uh, with, with the local restaurant market and they have a budget and they have funds. And so it's, uh, I think that's the way to go. You know, we just, we're just finishing building a food truck. It's actually oh, a food trailer. Yes. The biggest part of that food trailer will be going to the church on a Sunday morning and doing a hot cake breakfast and, you know, just just public relations, being a part of the community, you know, and, and I think that's an or it'll pull up to the high school and we'll donate part of the proceeds. So I'm really excited about this because it actually gives us a, a mobile vehicle that we can do some things with. Because it's hard to have a, it's almost impossible to bring the church in for breakfast at Mom's and like close off one side of the restaurant because we're too busy. So this remote 
vehicle will give us a lot of fun in terms of how to do something. You know, maybe, maybe we'll be at the LA Marathon or, you know, um, Long Beach Road Race. There'll be there'll be business opportunities for it, but I think a big part of it is churches, schools, um, city hall, that type of thing. Yeah, so it's it's goodwill in the community, and it's also further brand building for norms. I'm sure it's going to be, you know, Absolutely. make those trailers look exactly like the restaurants do. Yeah, there might it, even be some. Be, it's actually um, we we just we just saw uh, uh, a wrap a design uh, element that's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. Excellent. Well, I look forward to you rolling that out. Last question, Mike. Let me ask you if you could give our independent owner operators some best advice when they want to move from their single successful location into another location and then ultimately multiple locations. What's the first and most important things they should do and what should they not lose sight of? Well, I think I think you have to make sure that you understand the concept, you know, which which is interchangeable with the brand, you know, because concepts may not work in every location, depending on um, the niche, the niche, right? So Mastro's is not going to work in our Sloss and Huntington Park location, right? It's too high end. It's right, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you have to make sure that you understand your concept so that when you go do a site selection, you understand what kind of guests you're trying to target. Um, and then obviously, you know, McDonald's location, location, location. Of course. You know, um, you, you, that's the number one step is, is if you if you have the right concept and you pick the right location, then you have pretty good odds of being successful. And then this goes back to the last thing is the owner operator mentality. When you start opening up a couple of restaurants, you have to have a great general manager. If you hire the right general manager, they will execute. So what, whatever the mantra is for that theme or that concept, you get the right general manager. Usually you have to have a great kitchen manager or chef, right? But if you can lock down a great GM and a great kitchen manager, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be okay. That's it. You know, I, I did consulting for a long time while I was also doing, you know, full-time leadership roles. And, uh, and the advice, I probably turned down 60 or 70% of the people that, um, that called on us, um, myself and my part at the time. And I said, don't invest in a third party outsource solution, put your money in a bonus plan, get yourself a great GM. And, uh, and, and that would be my simple advice. Know the brand, pick the right location that matches up and then hire yourself a great general manager. Well, there you have it, folks. Experience from an industry veteran. It's been my pleasure speaking with you today, Mike. We learned so much about norms and about its history and about best practices and what's made you know your brand so successful over the years. I really appreciate your being on the show. Thank you, sir. And keep in touch. I'd like to... Like to um, hear the saga of your uh, getting back in the restaurant business. We'll, we'll, we'll trade some more stories, okay? I, you know, I love talking shop with operators. I'd be happy to do that. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks. Well, thank you again for listening. We really appreciate it. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. 
Wow, guys, the passion really ran deep in my conversation with Mike from Norm's Diner. You know, it takes so much and something special in order to create a concept and then continue to grow it and to last for decades. You know, what it really takes, it takes systems. And we talked about that in this episode, all the necessary systems so that you don't get too bogged down and focused on all the critical details in one location, but you build a dream team staff, they have your back, and you've got the place so dialed that you can move on to the next location and the next one and the next one. Or even if you want to do something else, you just want a restaurant that continues to build and sustain its brand but you don't have to be there all the time. That takes systems. If you're interested in what these systems might be, you got to head on over to restaurantrockstars.com. We have something called the Restaurant Rockstars Academy that offers three levels of these systems, whether it be financial related, staff training, or everything. Finances, training, marketing, all the key things that you need to put in place to run and build a truly outstanding restaurant. And I have a limited number of coaching slots available. I am, again, so passionate about this business, and I really love working one-on-one with restaurants. So if you have a particular challenge or a pain point that you're having trouble with, you can reach out to me, Roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. We'll talk shop for 30 minutes at no charge, and we'll talk about your particular situation. And if coaching holds interest for you, then we can, uh, we can sign you up for that as well. But again, no obligation. Please reach out to me. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It will help other owners, managers, and hospitality professionals find us. We really appreciate this. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.